Amen. Thank you, Brian and Rachel. I hope some of you out there were just like singing in your car, singing at the airport. I know a few people were talking about how they were, how they were in the airport watching us live on there in the comments. I saw that. And if you're just joining us, welcome. This is, this is different. But I know you're out there, and I'm going to be speaking as if you were watching through the camera. I'm going to try to mentally prepare myself for that and, and to do that. But we are finishing up our relationship series in Ephesians today, and we have seen a lot of great stuff in this book. We, we started all the way back with our relationships with lost people. We then looked at our relationships with our friends in the church and outside the church. We looked at our relationships with our neighbors and husbands, wives, children in the home. The only major relationship that's left is the relationship that you have at work coming up. Maybe you're going to go to work after lunch. Maybe you have to go to work tomorrow morning, Monday morning work. And I realize when I put those two words in the same sentence together, Monday and work, some of you just have like a, oh, a little sigh that comes up. Any, anybody out there that feels, feels that way? Well, if that's you, and uh, you're, you're looking at what's going on where 80% of the country is closed and things are, things are just like shut down and your boss is still like, hey, figure out what you need to do with your own kids and I'll see you at 7 a.m. tomorrow morning. If that's you, all jesting aside, I get it. I get how hard it can be sometimes to have motivation and inspiration at the workplace. I've had a lot of jobs in my life. I mean, I love being a pastor. I thoroughly, thoroughly enjoy it. But I have had plenty of jobs where I don't enjoy what I have to do. And I go in, it's almost like you just want to keep your head down. You want to keep your mouth shut because you know if you open up your mouth, you have a boss who's ready to make fun of your faith. I've experienced that. You have people who hate their life because they're doing this and they're, they feel stuck and they don't know Jesus Christ and they want to make your life miserable. And if you're happy there, it's like, what's wrong with you? So for those of us who are in a career like that or lack of a career right now and, and talking about work is a tough topic for you, I feel that and I understand where you're coming from. I want you to know that I know how hard a passage like this can be. Because what we're going to see in this passage is off the wall from the status quo. It is absolutely nuts what Jesus Christ wants us to do in the workplace, in our job. And in this passage, Ephesians chapter 6, verses 5 through 9, we are going to see that God wants you to worship him through your work. Worshiping God through your work is what he has called us to do. And before we dive into the passage, I do have to address one thing. Basically, it's an elephant in the room, all right? If you want to look at the very first word of verse 5, bondservants, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling with a sincere heart as you would Christ. Right off the bat, we have this word bondservants. Some of your Bible passages, translations may say slaves, well, that is the Greek word doulos, and it does mean slave. And I have had a lot of people in my life say, hey, what's up with the Bible and slavery? Um, does the Bible actually condone slavery here? Uh, there's, 
there's questions that people have about this, and I have had young African-American men in my youth group in the past who've had people in their ear giving them this line that, oh, yeah, the Bible is so antiquated. It does, it, it's fine with slavery. So let's talk about this for a second because I believe this passage best applies to us as an employee and an employer. But that's not what it says here, does it? It's talking about slaves and slave owners. So we have to address this, especially since 200 years ago in our country, we had slavery. And the transatlantic slave trade that was here in our country is still a very uh, horrific thing that has scarred people, and it still has ramifications even today. So what does the Bible say? Whenever you come across something that you don't understand in the Bible— can we just take a brief side note here, a little short rabbit trail, and talk about this? How do you respond? How do you handle questions you have about something that doesn't necessarily make sense to you at the surface level? Well, when you come to that in Scripture, you always need to interpret it historically, grammatically, and rhetorically. All right, and, and people have shortened that to a historical, grammatical approach. And I know that's, that's sounding complicated, all right, and this is a biblical hermeneutic. Big, big church word, right? But it's all that simply means is it's the way you interpret the Bible, okay? That's your, what your hermeneutic is. And people do get way out of line. Uh, people will twist the Bible, the Bible to their own devices when they don't take a historical grammatical approach to scripture. So what does that actually mean? Well, this approach strives to discover the biblical author's original intended meaning in the text and what the original hearers would have understood by accounting for background, culture, words, syntax, form, and genre. It's so crucial that we do this. We can't get intimidated by this um, when people attack the accuracy of Scripture or the credibility of Scripture, usually is what they're missing is one of these things right here. They're missing one of these pieces right here. And with that said, historically, what was slavery like for this original audience here in Ephesus in the mid-60s A.D.? Was it different from the slavery that we think of when we think of slavery that we experienced in our history, in our country? Well, First of all, the way it sounds, if you just read this text, is there were slaves and the slave owners sitting in the same room listening to this passage being read to them. So that alone right there is the first clue that tells you slavery here wasn't probably the same thing we have in our minds as slavery. And a few things to note about the time and the place of slavery here in Ephesus. First of all, slavery wasn't racial. Okay, that's a big one. Let's, let's just let's think about that for a second. This was not a one race dominating over another race type of thing. It was all mixed with the races. Um, so that's, a, that's different. Slavery wasn't lifelong either. Um, many times people voluntarily entered into slavery, maybe to pay off a debt, maybe sometimes even to advance their own career. All right, so it wasn't a a lifelong thing that you were born into or you could never really get out of. As a matter of fact, uh, at this time, about 50% of slaves were done with their term of slavery by the age of 30. There's a really interesting passage in Galatians that talks about the law being our schoolmaster that brought us to Christ. 
And the Greek word there for schoolmaster is this word pedagogue, okay? And if you want to go into the illustration that Paul is giving, Paul is explaining that the law, the Old Testament law, paints the picture. It teaches us our sin nature, who we are, how we're apart from God, and the fact that we need Jesus Christ. And a pedagogue was a schoolmaster. It was a very highly educated male who actually was almost like a nanny, but like a manny, a really, really smart man who would just be with a, a young boy, teach him everything he needed to learn about every facet of life. These are highly educated people. And that's a part of what slavery was at this time. So I hope that's helping you. Um, this is a far cry from what we think of as slavery. And even though there were productive and successful elements of slavery in the society at that time, it would be very naive to think that slavery was just all good because there were some very negative, horrific elements of slavery at this time as well. Prisoners of war, they were most definitely turned into slaves. Orphans, uh, they were captured by wicked and evil people and, and enslaved as well at this time. So slavery is something that God hates. Uh, the, the abuses of one man treating another human being unequal as if they were not made in the image of God is deplorable. It is wrong. And the Bible teaches us that. But we also have to remember that a Bi the Bible, it is not a manifesto for a utopian society. It's not. What is the main message of the Bible? It reveals to us who God is, his character, his attributes, his glory. And it also shows us the redemptive story and the plan that God has to restore his relationship with mankind. So that's what the Bible is over, all about teaching us. And we as Christians, we also should realize here the church at Ephesus at this time was a tiny minority, okay? They had no ability to leverage power over the government. They had no social influence like that. They were a tiny minority. And furthermore, the Bible rarely goes after institutions. How does the Bible address problems? It's not just taking a swipe at the big bad government or whatever that may be. No, the Bible always goes after the heart, the Bible consistently, time after time, knows that the way you change an institution, the way you overturn problems in society, is not by just legislating it out of existence. It's by changing the individual human heart. And you get a group of people unified together with love. That's going to change the institution. And we're going to see this as a huge point later on, later on in the text. But when you interpret Scripture correctly, it unequivocally leads you to strongly oppose the degradation of humans in the institution of slavery. And Christians, not just in this passage, but in hundreds of other passages, learned that slavery was wrong when they stopped going with what their culture told them was okay. And they said, no, this is what the Bible says. This is God's heart towards man, and they changed slavery. So is that, is that enough history and grammar for us today? Are you ready to get into Ephesians chapter 6? I hope you understand why we're talking about this as work relationships because this is the best way it applies to us, and it really does match up. We can read this passage, and we can know this is about worshiping God through your 
work. So let's look again at verse 5, and I'm going to read the first few verses for us. Bondservants, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart as you would Christ, not by the way of eye service as people pleasers, but as bondservants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, rendering service with a good will as to the Lord and not to men. The first point today that I see from verses 5 through 7 is that we all need to go deeper than the surface level. Work isn't just about the paycheck. It's not just about that 9 to 5. There are a lot of things going on in these first three verses, but this is really the main thrust. It's a whole lot better and bigger and, and more important than just punching that clock and getting through with your day, and moving on with your real life. There, when you diagram this, there's two commands. And the first one is to obey your authority, right? Slaves, obey your masters. But employees, obey your authority. Obey your boss. And underneath that, sub underneath that there are two subpoints in verse 5. The first one is with fear and trembling. And the second one is with a sincere heart. And we are going to take these one at a time, but first of all, fear and trembling, this doesn't mean you walk around shaking in your boots saying, yes, master, all the time. This is conveying the idea of respect, and we see this phrase throughout Scripture. It always describes a reverent position of your heart, and that's the same way we should approach God, with reverence and respect. And there is no qualifier here on this one for employees. In this passage, we have seen qualifiers, you know, with husbands and wives, and we've seen qualifiers with kids. We've seen all of that. We don't have it here. It's pretty black and white, and it's pretty much, you, it'll jump out at you in the fact that it's so eye-opening. Obey with reverence and respect, and it doesn't matter if your boss doesn't know Jesus. It doesn't matter how ridiculous the task they give you seems to be in your mind. You are to do it out of reverence and respect, and there's a reason for that coming. The second point doubles down on that, with a sincere heart as you would Christ. Are you starting to see how off the wall this is sounding, how radical this actually is? I mean, for those of you who are in a tough work environment, you're surrounded by people who don't think like you, who don't want to live like you, and have completely different motives than you. I know as well as you do that this sounds really, really difficult. But this phrase, a sincere heart, has the idea that you should be working wholeheartedly. With every ounce of energy and passion that you have, you should be fully focused, engaged in the task that's before you. And I know we're thinking, oh, wow, but my boss isn't anything like Jesus Christ. It doesn't say that your boss is going to be like Jesus Christ. It says that you should work for your boss as if you were working for Jesus Christ. And I know you need help with this because I do, and Paul knows this as well. As a matter of fact, this section of Scripture, verses 5 through 9, 107 total words. Do you realize that 67 of the 107 words, so 62%, I really went above and beyond on the math, above and beyond on the math for you. 62% of this passage is directly addressing this specific point. This is the point. You should work with a sincere heart as you would the Lord. 
If you know Jesus, we're working for something that we cannot see or handle with, with our own hands, all right? It's something that's greater than money. It's for the glory of God. Your labor, your craftsmanship, your handiwork, your problem-solving skills, all of those are talents and gifts that God has given you to reflect the glory of God. Your work in and of itself is a way that you can show the artistry of God, the organization of God, his, his cool under pressure, all of those attributes of God we can show in the workplace. And verse 6 elaborates on this, why this is so much deeper. Our eyes need to be opened to the eternal. We have to go deeper than the temporary, not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but as bondservants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart. God's will, his desire for you is to stand out in the workplace. It really is. You're not doing it to please people. You're not doing it to climb the ladder. You do your best. You do an excellent job day in, day out, every single day through the power of the Holy Spirit because you're doing it for the Lord and not for man. Wow. Do you see how different this is? I know some of us are thinking, my word, if I showed up at work with just a smile on my face, being all peppy, and I went above and beyond, people would think I've lost my mind. <laughs> it, like, what would that do? But think about the platform that this would open up. Yeah, it might be weird if you change that attitude drastically overnight tomorrow morning. But think about how differently people would look at you and start asking questions. No one should outwork Christians. In church, if we all took this seriously, businesses would only want to hire Christians. They really would. What kind of testimony would this be? And this is why this is the will of God. What a light. What a testimony. I can't imagine a better way for us to shine the light of Jesus than to just be the absolute best, fired up, passionate, friendly, engaging workers in whatever our hand finds to do. Like Ecclesiastes 9. Whatever your hand finds to do, do it with your might. If we do that, we would get a platform. When we crush it at work, we can show the world what God's like. His grace, his justice, his humility, his mercy, his, his overextending hand that just pours out blessing after blessing. We can act that way at work. And if you do that, I know you'll stand out because I've been in those places before. So, you're still thinking, I know some of us are like, but David, what if my job asks me to do something completely ridiculous? I've, I've been there before. I, when I was a youth pastor, I worked full-time at Starbucks for a while. And for those of you who know me, you can imagine I, I took my job pretty seriously. I was pretty fast at making Starbucks drinks, okay? I know a big, high-talented job, but I could, I could whip out a few drinks. And there came a time at my Starbucks where corporate said, hey, we have a new standard on the way you need to make your drinks. You have to follow these procedures. And you know what? I didn't like that at all because I could make three drinks at the same time, and I, was, I thought I was really fast, and I thought I was fine, and I was like, this is only going to slow me down. This is ridiculous. But I was the shift supervisor at this job, so it was basically my job to enforce the corporate company policy, and if I wasn't doing it, no one else would doing it. I, do it, and I wouldn't be doing my job. So I reluctantly gave in. 
And I, looking back at it, in hindsight, I didn't have a great attitude about this. I could have, I really missed an opportunity. But I reluctantly went with it. And you know what? At the beginning, it really slowed me down. But over time, it wasn't bad. And sure, I might have been a hair slower than I was before, but my quality of beverage actually increased. And it got way better. And that was something that, yeah, I didn't want to do it. It sounded ridiculous to me. But it was my job to obey authority, the authority that God had given me. And we all face issues like that from time to time. So even when you think you're stupid, think it's stupid, and you don't want to do what you've been asked to do, if you simply obey, you can watch God do something with that. Lead by example. And I'm not saying you don't talk to the proper channels at times. And if you're in a place where there's never any place for a positive, constructive criticism, maybe you need to find another place to work at some point. There's a lot of places to work. But you should be thinking, I'm not going to be working with these people forever. I have a limited time frame here to represent Jesus Christ, to shine the glory of God, and to influence these people for what I believe in, for the hope that I have. And if you work this way, let me tell you, you will rise. You will rise up that ladder with more and more influence. We see story after story like this in Scripture. Think about Joseph for just a quick second. Joseph was sold into slavery, right? He's working for Potiphar, the captain of the guard. And I mean, I'm sure Joseph thought, wow, this position is not actuating my creative potential. I'm so much better than this, and I have to do this. But did Joseph just get angry, annoyed, and just survive his job and, 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 and dread his job every single day? From what we can tell, that's not what happened, right? Because Joseph worked hard, he did a great job, and he rose to all the way to this point where he was the head over Potiphar's household, okay? So he, he showed some talent and some ability, and he worked hard where he was. And then, Joseph, and then Potiphar's wife made a move on Joseph. Um, there was a lie made. Joseph was sent into prison. And again, he's back at square one. He's in jail. Was that fair? Of course not. It was completely unfair. But again, Joseph, he keeps grinding. He does the will of God with a sincere heart. And then when he is pulled out of, a, out of the prison cell and he is put in this amazing position where he's second over the entire country, second only to the Pharaoh, where did he learn all these skills and these abilities to have that job? He learned that from the really crummy slave position, right? when he worked with his father Jacob with the livestock and when he was in prison and when he was in the Potiphar's home, those are the skills that he developed for the large platform that God had planned for him all along. The worst job situations imaginable prepared Joseph for the position that God had for him. Do you realize God is, hasn't changed? He's doing the same thing for you. Listen to this one right here. Where you are right now is the perfect position for the future that only God can see. Think about that. Right now, where you're at, you're not going to stay there forever. And you don't know what God is fully doing. We, we really can't know. But this is a true 
truth about God that you have to believe and you have to rest on. He is preparing you right now for a future that only he can see. Only he knows what his plan is for you there. So tend the garden where he has placed you right now. He has a reason for putting you there. He has a plan for that. And you don't have to scheme to climb the ladder. You work this way with a sincere heart as to the Lord, and God will open up more and more doors for you. We don't have to go on a campaign for significance. Pour yourself, pour yourself into what you have in front of you, and God will give you more and more opportunities. I can look back in my life and see the same thing. I really can. I mean, I've worked at a lot of different places, um, from working on a farm, working on a golf course, uh, a marketing agency, limos.com, like all these jobs. I worked for McLean Midwest Grocery Distribution Warehouse, and what a mouthful that is. And, and if I look back at every single one of those jobs, God taught me things there. There were skills that I was able to develop there. There were problem-solving areas in my life that I picked up there that have prepared me to be a pastor. And this is the same way it is for you right now. So think deeper than the surface. Worship through your work. And be aware that God is crafting you and shaping you into the instrument that he wants to use. So even in the dark times, you can take hope in the fact that something greater is coming. A greater platform is just around the corner. So that was the first reason why we work with a sincere heart. And the second reason, as we, if we, as we diagram this passage, is our second point today. And that is verse 8. So it's, it's right found there in verse 8. Knowing that whatever good anyone does... This he will receive back from the Lord, whether he is a bondservant or is free. Second point today is expect to reap what you sow. This biblical principle shows up everywhere, but it most definitely is applicable in the workplace. And if you're following this diagram as we, pass, as, as we have, have been working through this passage, you know, two people are being addressed, right? It's first of all, the employee, then the employer, Slave, employee, whatever you want to call yourself. And isn't it funny how um, some of the slaves at this time, like the pedagogues and the educated people, like people would go into slavery just to be to rise in their medical career, kind of like some of our people in our church who were studying medicine. You almost feel a slave, right, uh, to, to, the, to the study and the, and the school bills. It's basically the same thing. Not much, not much has really changed. But for the slaves and the slave owners, this verse right here is really the swing verse. This verse really applies to both. And we know, yeah, all right, obey with respect and a sincere heart. Okay, check. Underneath that sincere heart, you're doing it not for man. You're doing it for Jesus because it shows the glory of God. That's the first reason. And the second reason right here is because you're going to get exactly what you put into it. You will, you will receive a return on that investment. And knowing whatever good anyone does, this he will receive back from the Lord, whether he is a bondservant or he is free. That's Ephesians 6, 8. It's right there in front of us. Do you see how it works both ways for both parties? Treat others the way you want to be treated. You see that there, right? If you don't put time and energy and passion into your work, why should anyone else? 
And if you have a business, if you're running the show and the buck stops at you, would you want your employees to go through the motions and slack off when no one else is watching? Of course not. What this text is saying that is if you treat your job right and you work with a good will, you work hard, you put in a full day's work and you feel good about that, you're going to be rewarded one day. That's the way God has planned to make this all work. So how do we stay motivated? How do we do this? It all goes back again to verses 5 and 7. You have to remember you're doing it as to the Lord. It's for his glory. You can worship God through your work or you can worship your work as a God. You can get it completely backwards because if you're not worshiping God through your work, there's a strong temptation that's going to creep in where you make work either an idol of your heart or you make it your your passion and your, and your hobby, which is, it can be a good thing in the proper balance. But we have to remember work isn't just to get the paycheck. And if you treat work as a means to an end, if you make it all about the money, can you find success? Sure, of course you can. You can find a lot of money. But it can also be a cruel life because it can swing in a heartbeat. In three or four days, the stock market can completely crash and you can lose your retirement. A lifetime of work can go up in flames. Don't treat work as a god. And don't treat your job as a necessary evil either. That's not what God has for us. God wants you to leverage those as a platform for good. Embrace the opportunities that your work gives you to show the glory of God. And this is where we step into verse 9. All right, verse 9, masters, do the same to them. Stop your threatening, knowing that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven and that there is no partiality with him. I teased you earlier that there was a verse coming that sparked the end of slavery. And this is one of those verses. There's a lot of verses like this in the Bible. But there is no partiality with our God. That is an amazing beautiful truth. We have to hold on to that. He loves everyone the same. He does not pick favorites, okay? So, employers, stop your threatening. How are you treating your employees? We all, no matter what walk of life or path of the journey that we are on, we have the same Father in heaven. If you know Jesus Christ, you have the same Father in heaven. And we should treat people with respect. Treat people the way you want to be treated. And this is the third point. It's to treat your business like a ministry. Treat your business like a ministry. Of course, I'm not saying you don't care about making a profit. Of course not. Um, you're going to strive for excellence. You're going to strive for success. All of those things are important. But what this passage is saying is you don't have to run over people to do that. You just don't. You can, you can treat people the right way and have a successful business. Ultimately, when your business has a deeper purpose, it's going to be showing the glory of God. When you think about the deeper meaning behind your business, you are going to want to treat people right. 
And when you're working and you clean or you provide a service, not only are you putting food on your table and earning something to give generously, but you are creating and informing and repairing all of these things that you're doing. You're showing the truth of who God is. And God has wired you to show that he is a provider, to show his creative artistry, show the world who he is. So this means that we should compensate people well. Be generous. And our church has to take a lead in that. This was countercultural then, and it's still countercultural today. If you have employees, you can be a blessing in their life. You can set them up to thrive for success. And you know what I think is very, very interesting? When you look at companies even to this day, the ones who follow this biblical principle are some of the most successful countries, successful companies that we see, right? I've talked to people who've worked at Google before. They have really nice amenities, really nice benefits for their employees. You should give your employees a really nice break room. Give them the proper amount of vacation. If they have that, they're going to be better employees. They're going to work better, and your company will also be more successful. There is a reason why you can go to Chick-fil-A, and the parking lot is full, and there's no empty parking spaces, and you can go to the, par to the fast food restaurant parked right next door and just park there and then walk over to Chick-fil-A. It's because this, this principle from the top all the way down to the product creates a better product and quality shows. So if you own a business or you have employees, how are you treating them? And you know what? The coronavirus right now that we're all facing, this is a big barometer on how you love people and how you treat people. It really is. Julie and I have a friend, and she's... Uh, got a got a very high level job, you know. It's stressful. It's 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 a it's a big deal. It's it's an important job, and she has a lot of people under her. But her her direct boss traveled traveled around the country, has the flu now, doesn't look good, but he wants everybody to still come in. He he this this workaholic doesn't get the fact that wait you're sick why are you coming in why do you want all of us to come in right now church the way we handle our business, the way we treat people and love our neighbors is showing them that we're either putting work above them or we're putting their soul and their health and their well-being in the proper place. It communicates something. So we don't just run the show, eat people up, chew them out, chew them up, spit them out. Give people a work environment where they can thrive. One of the things that we're going to miss this year is March Madness. And I love the NCAA basketball tournament. It's canceled this year. And uh, I know some of you are, don't really care. Some of you are just sad that Comic-Con is canceled. And isn't it great that we have a diverse church? <laughs> we all have different, different tastes. I really love basketball, and I kind of geek out over March Madness, and one of the things that I love about it, you may not have uh, ever thought of, you've kind of had to be there and experience it to really appreciate this, but I love the end of the game, like maybe five minutes left, in a blowout, when the bench comes in. I know, I know you're like, what, David, why would, you, why would you enjoy that? Well, I've been there before. I know what it's like to practice all year long with these guys. You think you're just as good. You think you should deserve some minutes, 
and you never get those minutes. And then the game is in hand. There's no pressure. You get in, and now it's your time to shine. And if you ever watch one of those basketball games, you can just see it on these guys' faces. I mean, it's like no one else cares. The game is, like, already over. But they are taking it seriously, right? They're in. They want to do something to show the coach that they should be in the game next time. And it's always entertaining to watch that. But we're going to miss this whole atmosphere of roaring clouds, peak excitement. But I think our Christian life and how we respond and how we live in the workplace, it really correlates to that a little bit. See, here's the thing. Jesus Christ has already won the title. He has won the victory. He defeated sin and death on the cross, and he rose again. Can somebody give a heart emoji for that right now, a shout-out for that right now? That's our Savior, Jesus Christ. So he won the game. The game is not in doubt. There's no pressure right now for you. There's really not. You get out there, you do your best. But here's where this analogy breaks down a little bit, okay? The stakes are high. There's no pressure, but it still is important. We're kind of like that, that team that backed into the tournament by the grace of the selection committee, right? You follow me? You follow me on this? You know, we don't deserve to be there, but somehow we found ourselves in the final four. You have a mission for God's glory. And yes, there's no pressure. Jesus already won. You don't have to perform. You don't have to, like, do something that you can't do. What you can do is realize the stakes are high. We're not talking about a game anymore, okay? We're talking about life and death, representing our Savior, showing the love of Jesus Christ. That's what we have on our plate. And yeah, there's no pressure, but it's still really important. Know that whatever place you're in at work right now, God knows where you're at. And even if you have worked tirelessly in this thankless job and you feel like no one notices, God sees where you're at. He knows exactly how you feel right now. And he, is for, he has not forgotten you. He has a plan for you. He has a way for you. And what you have to remember is through your work, you can worship. You can show the glory of God with how you perform day in, day out by putting a smile on your face, having joy, simply showing up on time, being punctual, and doing your best. Not unto man but as you would Jesus Christ. Let's close in prayer. Father, we love you and we're so grateful that you won the game. You defeated sin. You crushed death. You've given us a reason to live. We could even say a reason to play. There's no pressure right now, Lord, but we realize our life is important. And in all these relationships that we have, in the home, with lost people, with our friends, Lord, in the workplace, may we remember that we are to be imitators of you. And that we are to walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice. That's what we're called to do in our relationships, God. We acknowledge that. Lord, we're asking for you to help us now. As we sing in response, we know there's a lot of unknowns out there. Not just with people's jobs and their careers, but 
financially speaking, all of these things, Lord. May we trust in your good, your goodness, and your grace, and your mercy. And may we say it is well. No matter what happens, Lord, you love us, and you have a plan for us. Use us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. i